my first Sunday to a worship with Rod Ellis as our worship pastor. I'm pretty excited. Hot Rod's going to be okay around here, <laughs> enjoying that. Welcome to your Rod. I'm Tim Harris. I'm Pastor Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to all of you in the overflow. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of this worship service in Perry, Oklahoma. Pastor Brian Ahern, love you with my whole heart and, and delighted to partner with you in the gospel. Uh, open your Bibles, everybody, to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. In my life, like yours, there are things that I know and things that I don't know. And in many ways, that sort of defines who I am, the things I know and the things I, I don't know. But, but I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that there are things I know and things I don't know. And then there are definitely things that I pretend I don't know. You with me? There are things I pretend I don't know. And honestly, in life, in business, in family, it's the things that I pretend I don't know which really say more about who I am and the situation of my heart, the things I pretend not to know. Y'all with me? For example, in my house, I pretend not to know how to unload the dishwasher. I just pretend, you know, I'm pretty sure Scott Turner pretends like he doesn't know how to turn on a Swiffer. You just sort of pretend not to know certain things. In my house, there's a crack from the foundation that goes straight up the bedroom wall and across the ceiling and then down the other side. And Casey worries about two nights a week that in our sleep, a sinkhole will open up and our bedroom will, will disappear. And I just pretend not to know that. I just pretend not to know certain things. And, and it truly makes a big difference in your life, what you pretend not to know. As pastors, sometimes I pretend not to know that 2020 is only seven years away. I, I pretend not to, not to know that sometimes. In the United States recently, there was a survey where people were asked to respond whether they agreed or disagreed with a, a single statement. And the statement was, I believe that there will be a day when God will judge whether or not I go to heaven or hell. That was the statement. And people in the United States were asked whether or not they agree with that. I believe that there will come a day when God will judge whether I go to heaven or hell. The percentage of people who say they believe that this day and age, 79%. 79% of people say that they believe that there will come a day when they will stand before God and God will judge whether or not they go to heaven or hell. 79% of people believe that. And that may sound surprising to you. You might recognize that since 9-11, since the horrible terrorist attacks of 9-11, the number of people who say that continues to go up. So if 79% of people really believe that they will stand before God, that, that, that everybody you know will stand before God and God will judge whether or not you go to heaven or hell, if everybody believes that, why doesn't it seem like people believe that? You ever wondered that? I mean, even church people like you, you and I, we say we believe that, but you wouldn't know we believe that by the way we live our lives, by the way we interact and talk to our neighbors, by the way we hardly ever share the gospel with people. You would think that we don't know. I'm afraid that we know it. It just might be one of those things we pretend like we don't know. And that's tragic. Isaiah chapter 66 is the passage today. These are the very last words, very last words of the prophet Isaiah in his long and wonderful book of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 66, the prophet's last words. We're going to start in verse 15. 
skip a bit and go down to the very final words. Actually, let me start at the last part of verse 14, the very last part of verse 14, Isaiah 66. Everyone will see the Lord's hand of blessing on his servants and his anger against his enemies. Verse 15, see, the Lord is coming with fire and his swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. He will bring punishment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire and by his sword. He will judge the earth and many will be killed by him. 22. This is the Lord speaking. As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people. With a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. As they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. Last words of the prophet Isaiah. Utter horror. When I was just graduating high school and on my way to college, I was talking to uh, the mother of one of my good friends. And honestly, this mother was like a mother to me. I was in her house all the time and uh, high school days hanging out. It was wonderful. And, and I loved this woman. And, and she was one of those women that all through my life had encouraged me. I, I was an artist all through school. And uh, I assumed, many people assumed I would go into art school, and, and this is one of those women who would always encourage me to do that. It was just one night when we were talking about my plans after high school, and that's the night that I told her that I really wasn't going to go to art school, that I felt called to ministry. I told her I was going to be a minister. And I will never forget what she said. She said, heck, Tim, but she didn't say heck. Right? She said, heck, Tim. Don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? Heck, Tim, don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? Yeah. Uh, what, 30 years later, you know, as a minister, I still hear those words in my head. Heck, Tim, don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? It, it's, a, it's a real dilemma. All right, now follow me now. It's a, it's a real dilemma because the scripture makes plain that, that God wants the whole world to be saved. You with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God has made provision. God has made provision for the salvation of every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived on this planet and who shall ever live on this planet. God wants no one to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. This is what the scriptures say. This is the heart of God. You need to understand this. God is a God who loves and saves and forgives and shows mercy. God wants everyone to be saved. But you and I both recognize by now, and if not, there are plenty of people who will remind you that, heck, the whole world doesn't want to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved, but the whole world doesn't want to be saved. So, so this becomes a question, what's, what happens to those who don't want to be saved? 
But what happens to those who refuse the love of God? And God is a God of love and God is a God of mercy. And while he wants to save everyone, he, he dignifies every single person with the choice. He dignifies us with the choice, with freedom. And so what God does is make provision and make the offer of salvation to the entire world. But, but not everybody says yes to God. Not everybody wants that. And so the question becomes, what happens to those who refuse his love? What happens to those who just, heck, don't want to get saved? What happens to those who say no to him? You see, if, if God dignifies us with freedom, then understand there must be some way to dignify that choice for all of eternity. I mean, if you say you don't want God, then understand you're not going to have God. That's the choice that you have in this life and in the life to come. So very, very honestly and very basically, you can't talk about heaven without talking about hell. Because since there are two choices available to every man, woman, boy, and girl who ever lives, if there are two choices, then there must be two destinations. Making sense? That there must be two destinations. You simply cannot have heaven without hell. Although I know a lot of people wish it could be different. Sometimes with, with half of our minds, we just sort of maybe imagine that somehow in the end, everyone will be saved. But... Heck, don't you understand, not everybody wants to be saved. You just can't have one without the other. You can't have heaven without hell. You can't give people a choice A or B and then not have A or B available for them. Do you understand? You can't have heaven without hell. So let's start first by talking about heaven. How about that? I really believe that we can understand hell a little bit better when we understand what heaven is and what heaven shall be. Look back at the scriptures with me one more time. Look at verse 22, Isaiah chapter 66, where we started this morning. Notice what God says. He's talking about the end. And God says this, As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so you will always be my people. Okay, now listen to me because I'm probably going to say something that you really haven't thought about, even though you think you've thought about it. But let's talk really honestly about what heaven is. You probably have a false idea. In the back of your head, you have a really hard time imagining heaven. And, and honestly, some of you, even though you, you, you want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell, you're not all that excited about heaven either. Maybe it's got to do with like the Tom and Jerry cartoons I watched when I was a kid when, you know, you know Tom would kill Jerry and Jerry would end up in heaven. And, and what was heaven like? It's just like sitting on a cloud, you know, playing a harp. A true confession, I don't even like harp music. You know, I don't even like that. It's just this idea that heaven, heaven always looks kind of pale and washed out in our minds. It looks like a place where we don't want to go. I can remember preachers talking about heaven when I was a kid, and they made heaven sound like just a church service that never ended. And oh my goodness, some of you right now, we're approaching kind of hellish experience. This service is going on and on. Oh my, oh my goodness, I couldn't really imagine just, you know, they talk about where we would sing forever. And I would think about being in church and, and standing up and, you know, standing up through 50 verses of just as I am. And the idea that we could sing forever, please. 
You understand how when we talk about heaven, we always sort of run out of ways to talk about it. And when one person describes heaven for them, it never sounds like heaven for me. We really don't understand what heaven is like. And let's get that straight first. Most of us really do not have a picture. Uh, no eye has seen. No, no one has imagined what God has in store for those who love him. We, we really don't imagine heaven well. But let's at least start with getting it down biblically. Okay? And notice how God describes in Isaiah chapter 66, as surely as my, my new heavens and earth. Scripture doesn't talk about heaven in the way you and I usually picture or the way preachers often talk about heaven. In Scripture, from front to back, it's, it's new heavens and new earth. It's a new heavens and a new earth. Heaven, plural. New heavens and a new earth. So, again, begin to sort of give up what you've always thought, and let's come back to what the Bible says. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, one of the most beautiful and wonderful snapshots of heaven for us. And notice how it's described. Revelation chapter 21. Maybe prepare to have your mind blown right here. You ready? Hang on to your wig. Revelation 21. Then I saw what? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So again, it's a new heaven and a new earth. This is what's in store for believers. A new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Okay? And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, doing what? Coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All right. So did you hear that? Because honestly, a lot of people don't get that, but, but it's just scripture. You often think that when you die, that, that you go to heaven, or that somehow after, after Christ returns, he will take us all to heaven, that we will go to live where God is. But that is actually not what scripture teaches from front to back. That's not what scripture teaches. It is not that we will go one day to live with God. It is that what? God comes down to live with us. Don't look at me like I made that up. We just read that. We read that. There shall be a new heaven and a new earth, and heaven will come down. The new Jerusalem, the city of God, it comes down, and God comes down to make his home with us. So in eternity, we will actually live. Heaven, so to speak, equals a new heaven and a new earth, and God comes down to live with us. We will live on a new earth. Now, I can get pretty excited about that. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of like the earth you've known, only new, only perfect, only better, only incredibly made in such a way where now God can come and dwell here in all of his blazing holiness. New heavens and new earth. So now this is a proper place for God to dwell, for Jesus to walk. It is a place for God's people. It's new heavens and a new earth. God comes down and makes his home with us here. 
So honestly, everything you've always loved about this creation, you can probably assume that that all the good things, all the beautiful things are going to be renewed and have a place in the world to come. Actually, I love sunrises, and I love the ocean, and I love so much about this earth. I love the sky when it explodes with blackbirds in the fall. And you understand, these wonderful things about life here on earth, everything beautiful, everything fun, everything that just breaks your heart with wonder in this earth, you understand, it'll probably have its place in the new creation too. God made this world, and he said it's good. It's good. But it's been ruined. It's been ruined by our sin. It's been ruined by our own rebellion. And so God promises that one day, one day, he's going to make everything right that's gone wrong. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And then the city of God, it comes down here and we live for eternity in the new earth. Now, Now that's the eternal picture from front to back. That's what God has in store for us. So we talk about going and living in heaven, but understand that. Understand what it's going to be. We're actually going to live on a new earth. I'm not making that up. That's out of scripture. So if heaven is actually going to come down, and we're going to dwell with God forever and ever on a new heaven and new earth, then, then what's hell? What's hell? Go back to Revelation with me. Read the verse with me. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. Verse 4, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. All these things are gone forever. Before God can make everything new, but before the great city of God can come down and God can make his home with us there a lot of things have to change about this earth this old world's got to change and this is the promise of scripture that God himself will come to, to judge and by judge we mean it is God who decides what has a place in the world to come and what has no place in the world to come. And the scripture makes clear what has its place in the world to come. It's, it's everything good, it's everything beautiful, it's everything that's true, everything that's holy. And read the last part of Revelation. It also makes very, very plain, very clear the things that will have no place in the world to come. And, and it's anything that has to do with harm, anything that has to do with death or hurt, anything that has to do with sickness or sorrow, anything that has to do with tears, do you understand? When God recreates, when God renews the heavens and the earth, part of this is is this important division. God has to sort things out. God has to clean things up. And that means some things have to be done away with forever. So so very basically, hell is the, the garbage dump of the new creation. Hell is the place where everything that has no place in in the world to come, nothing to do with God's home with his people, everything that has no place in the presence of God's holiness, you understand, it must be disposed of somewhere, and hell becomes that garbage dump. Actually, one of the words used for hell all through scripture in the New Testament is, is Gehenna, and Gehenna literally was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. So think of hell as 
It's like the garbage dump where everything that causes harm, everything that causes sorrow and pain and sickness, everything has its final destination too. And that place is the place that we frequently call hell. Now, as I said, there are people who'll end up there. There are people in this room, perhaps, who will not have a final home in the new heavens, in the new earth. You really need to protect not to pretend like you don't know that. There'll be people there. Now remember, Matthew chapter 25 makes very, very clear that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is already there and it's already prepared, but it was a place that God prepared for the punishment of these spiritual beings, the devil and his angels that rebelled against God in, in, in eternity. Do you understand that? Hell's not a place he prepared for you or for me because God's intention is that all of us would be saved. So God did not create hell as a place to roast and torture sinners for all eternity. That was never to be the purpose of, of hell. It was a place prepared for the devil and his angels. But, but people will go there. People will end up there. But they will do that by their own choice. I, I know that even as I talk and even as I take these things right out of Scripture, there's some of you who still have trouble. You just say, Brother Tim, I, I just can't wrap my head around that. I can't believe that, that there's a God, if there's a God at all, I can't believe that he would get any kind of glory, or I can't believe that there would be a, a God who's a God of love, but then would somehow send people to hell. I, I just can't believe that. I don't want to believe that. I'm actually very sympathetic to your view, but, but let's talk about that. Let's, let's just talk about that. Do you remember after 9-11 when innocent people had just been destroyed by, by the violence and, 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 and perversion of evil men? And do you remember the anger that you felt? You see those pictures of the victims on television. You hear the stories of those who tried to save others' lives, and, and it just breaks your heart. The, the innocent ones who died and suffered and the evil ones who, who, who perished in the flames as well but, but seemed to get off without any kind of punishment. And do you remember how people everywhere just were saying, where is God? You remember that? And maybe you ask that question sometimes yourself. Where is God? Where is God when people suffer? Where is God? It, it, it is frustrating and sometimes absolutely enraging to see how in this world there doesn't really seem to be any kind of reward and punishment that makes sense. There are innocent people who seem to live out this whole life in suffering, and, and you can't explain that to me. They can't possibly deserve that. And I don't want to believe that somehow they were created for a life of misery. But a whole lot of innocent people seem to live out their lives on this earth in misery, and I don't understand that. I don't know why children starve, and I don't understand why people suffer. I just don't. At the same time, I don't understand why, why wicked people, why, why evil people sometimes do horrible things. Horrible things that, that, that create and cause the suffering of other people. And they don't ever seem to suffer for those things themselves. And that just makes my head want to explode. I don't understand why in this life there doesn't seem to be any kind of justice. Are, are you with me? You ever just say, well, where is God? And isn't anybody keeping score? And why does God just let these things happen? And why do evil people go unpunished? Why in the world does the world seem so messed up? And this is what I want you to understand. 
that God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. And this is the point of heaven and hell. And honestly, this is in some ways the beauty of what I'm preaching here in this very moment. As horrible as it may sound to you on the one, on the one hand, it is justice itself. It's perfect justice that requires that there be a place of punishment. Please don't tell me that there's not somehow in the end going to be some balancing of the scales. Please don't tell me that in the end, wicked people who've created so much harm and so much hurt in this life, please don't tell me that they're never going to have to answer for what they've done. Please don't tell me that. You, you say you don't believe in hell? Have you seen the pictures out of Rwanda? With the ethnic cleansing there through the years, do you not understand that one of the ways that enemies fought each other was not by killing each other, but if I really wanted to humiliate my enemy, I would take one of his youngest children, hack off a leg, hack off an arm, or gouge out an eye, and leave the child maimed. Look at pictures from Rwanda right now. Villages and streets are filled with what are now young adults, maimed for life, so that their parents have to look every single day, every single day at the suffering of their child. That's what people did in Rwanda. Are you going to tell those innocent people, legless and, and limbless, are you going to tell them that there's no justice for that, that their enemies will never have to answer for that? You gonna tell the victims of the Holocaust that the Nazis, that Hitler got away with all of that? Those who were gassed in chambers, those who were tortured and shot and killed and beheaded, humiliated in all sorts of ways. Do you really want to live in a world where nobody ever has to pay for that? Where no one ever has to answer for that kind of wickedness and suffering? I heard the story of a girl who says her father used to rape her every week and then beat her. And while he beat her, he would recite the Lord's Prayer. Please don't tell me there's not a special place in hell for a man who would rape his daughter while reciting the Lord's Prayer. Don't tell me that there's no justice in this world. Please don't tell me that because... If the wicked are never punished and, and the, 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 the righteous are never rewarded, then this is the most absurd world I can imagine. This is a life that has no meaning. It's just not even worth living. I just can't imagine living if there's not going to be justice. If somewhere there's not a God who is righteous, who is pure, who is holy, who's somehow keeping score and somehow going to bring people back to answer for what they've done, Please don't think that that's a life worth living. This world would be ridiculous and absurd and hellish if it's to think that this is all there is. Justice demands heaven and hell. That this life requires heaven and hell. Yeah, but Brother Tim, I understand the Nazis going there, and I understand the father raped his daughter. He probably ought to be there. And I understand the people in Rwanda hacking off legs. They probably ought to go there. But, but Brother Tim, I'm a good person. That's what it comes down to, right? I mean, if 79% of people believe that, 
that one day there's a God who will judge whether they go to heaven or hell. Bottom line, you just can't imagine that, that you wouldn't go to heaven because you think of yourself as a really good person. You're, you're better than most. You're not a Nazi. And that's what it comes down to, right? You believe kind of with part of your brain that there's a heaven and hell, but you just really don't think that you or any of the good people you know would actually go to hell. You just, you don't see that. But, but think this through. Do you really think that on that great and glorious day, you're going to stand before the blistering holiness of God and you're somehow going to tell him you've been a good person? You really think that? Over vacation, I had the misfortune of watching half of an episode of Honey Boo Boo. Okay? Honey Boo Boo, if you haven't seen it, don't. Just don't. Um, this is a strange little child who is uh, paraded around and taken and put in beauty pageants by, by her parents. And, and God help all of them. And, and I'm serious, God help all of them. Um, let me just say, th this is not a pretty little girl. I mean, you understand? They're putting her in pageants, but there's nobody who seems to be willing to tell her, you know, we, we probably need to, you know, maybe you should try soccer. I, I mean, you understand? And, and what I'm saying is, in some ways in eternity, you're, gonna, you're like the honey boo-boo of eternity because you think you're going to stand out before God and somehow proclaim that, that you're worth saving on the merit of your works. You're really thinking that somehow you're going to stand before God and that God's going to look at you and just decide that you really are all that. You really don't have a, a very accurate sense of who you are and what your life adds up to. If you're thinking for a moment that you're going to stand before this holy God and somehow smile at him and proclaim that, 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 that you somehow are the exception to the rule. Your works cannot save you. Your good deeds cannot possibly save you. The only thing the record of your deeds can do is condemn you. You're a sinner just like the rest of us. Now, I know there are people who have lived, and there will always be people who are worse off than you and worse than me. We're pretty good people. We're good neighbors. We'll all smile at the ice cream supper at Woodburn, and we'll ask about each other's children. I mean, we think of ourselves as good people, but you don't understand. We're not comparing ourselves to each other. We're not comparing ourselves to Honey Boo Boo. We compare ourselves to Christ. And in the blazing furnace of his holiness, something tells me you won't stand there and somehow proclaim that you feel like you're worth saving on the merits of the life you've lived. But by every account, anyone who's ever come face to face with the holiness of this God, they fall on their face and they say, I am a dead man. Woe is me. I know you're thinking that, that, that you're good, that somehow hell could never be a place prepared for you, but, but this is what I'm telling you, what you have to understand. The Bible actually says that, that, that on that day that there'll be books. I, I don't know, anytime we're talking about eternity, understand the words just fall apart in your mouth because we're talking about the things of God that we can't see or imagine and words can't describe. And, and I know for a fact that God wouldn't need books, but, but the scripture says that, that there'll be books open. And, it, and it's a way of saying that, that there is a record kept. You understand that there really is a record kept, and, and your recollection of your life is probably edited. You, you probably edit out all of the things that make you look bad, and you choose to remember all the things that make you look good. But the point is that day the record is there. 
That, that it's not just that God's going to pick out the, the better days of your life and, and judge you on the days when you manage to come through. No, no the, the entire full record of your life is there. And it's not going to go well for you if that's your basis of salvation. It's just not going to go well for you. Me either. I don't want to stand to be judged by God on the basis of what I've done. According to Revelation, that there are books and then a book. That book is called the, 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 the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and who is the Lamb? To Jesus, the, 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 the Lamb, the, the sacrificial Lamb, the one who died for the sake of the sins of the world. There's the book called the Lamb's Book, Jesus' Book. And in that book, there are no deeds. There, there's no record of works kept. Understand? In, in the Lamb's book, it's only names. No works. Only names. The names of those who've trusted in Jesus. The names of those who have accepted God's offer of salvation. There are no records of works. There are only names. The names of those who've put their faith and trust in Jesus. Please listen to me. God does not want to punish you. God wants to pardon you. God doesn't want to keep a record of your sins. God wants to forgive your sins. God is not willing that anyone should perish, that, but that everyone would come to repentance. God wants to save you. And God has made provision for your salvation. You're not going to be saved on the basis of your works. Your works can only condemn you. Something has to be done. Someone has to pay that penalty. Someone has to take that punishment in your place. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. You hear the words? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want anybody to perish. But don't you know the whole world don't want to be saved? That's the part that, uh, honestly, on the one hand, I don't understand. That's <laughs> I don't understand that because I just think who would choose hell over heaven? Who would do that? And there's that part of me that, that just thinks that somehow maybe that's where it all falls apart. If it's up to our choice, who, who is going to choose hell over heaven? But then I just have to look around truth of the matter is people do that every day people do it every day some of you in the sound of my voice you're doing it right now you're given a choice a real choice you choose hell over heaven It's an offer to 
come into a right relationship with the God who made you. All he wants to do is bless your life and love you. Give you a home for all eternity. I don't know why you would say no to that. But make no mistake. If hell is what you want, hell is what you'll get. Make no mistake, the judgment that God will make about you one day is going to be determined by the decision you make about him now in this life. Can't have heaven without hell because there has to be some place for those who say they don't want God to be place where God is not and hell is the place where God won't be well I think I'd rather go to hell because that's where my friends will be you don't understand if God is not there there's no friendship there there's no love, there's no comfort. The Bible talks about it as a place of flame, as a place of fire. I, there are no words to describe the utter horror. All I know is if, if, if you choose that you want to live your life without God, if you choose that you would rather spend eternity without him, then there is a place for you to live out that choice. There will be a day when God will judge whether you go to heaven or hell. Don't pretend like you don't know that. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of praise. We're about to turn a big corner in this service. We're going to sing when we all get to heaven. But when you sing those words, when we all get to heaven, please don't forget that we're not all going to heaven. Don't pretend like you don't know that. Pray with me. Oh God, you are the maker of us all, one who knows us inside and out. You are the only one who judges us, the only one in the place to judge us. And your judgment will be perfect. Your judgment will be holy. When you pronounce your sentence upon every one of us, every mouth will be closed. So Lord Jesus, I pray for those in this house today who are able to hear this word of warning, this word of hope. I pray that every ear that hears this message will heed the truth of it. Lord, I pray that those in the sound of my voice will be convicted by the Holy Spirit and will choose heaven. I pray, Lord, that we will choose the forgiveness of our sins and not continue the foolishness of imagining that somehow we will ride through eternity on the record of our good works. God, help us.
Lord Jesus, it is you who loves us and you who died to pay the penalty to accept the punishment for our sins. So, Lord Jesus, may we trust you. May we say yes to your offer of salvation and may we enjoy eternity with you and with all those who believe in the new heaven, the new earth. But, Lord, there are so many, so many who will not be there, people we know, people we love. Lord Jesus, I pray that the knowledge of hell will continue to make evangelists of all of us. Lord, may we continue to spread the news. Lord Jesus, I pray for people in this house right now that they will respond to the gospel, respond to this message, or open their hearts to you. Lord Jesus, may every heart accept the offer of your salvation today. I pray in the holy name of Jesus. Stand together. I want you to respond to this message. Perhaps you are a believer and you know that your home is with God in heaven, and I invite you to praise him for the hope of heaven. You may be in this house and you don't know where you'll spend eternity. One of two places, and you 